Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast exists because of the paid members at DecodingTV.com. Become a paid member, get access to ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, as well as bonus episodes. Thanks to everyone at DecodingTV.com who makes this podcast possible. Why would anyone want to be a pirate? Because it's the best thing there is. You have the, the wind in your back, salty sea air, your loyal crew by your side. You never know what's in the horizon. It's all about being... Well, that clip did not go like uh, that. Clip ended prematurely. <laughs> I was supposed to grab. I was, I was like, waiting for what's the bit? What's the? He, he was supposed to. Be, it's all. It's all about being free, is what he was supposed to say. <laughs> and I accidentally cut it off. So that's my bad. Look, I'm not only the host of this podcast; I also produce it, and uh, sometimes it's a lot to handle. Okay? You got a lot of straw hats that you're juggling. Indeed, uh, indeed, indeed. All right. Well, anyway. Welcome to This Week in Streaming, a decoding TV podcast. Uh, each week, This Week in Streaming covers a show that's new and interesting in the world of streaming. I am David Chen. I'm Patrick Klopik. Uh, We will tell you if the show we're covering this week is worth watching. We'll review and spoil it and discuss the entire season of the show, if it is. Today, we're going to be discussing season one of Netflix's One Piece, uh, which is... All eight episodes of which are streaming right now. Next week, I want to announce, we'll be continuing our coverage of Ahsoka and also covering The Continental, a show that takes place in the universe of John Wick, which will be streaming on Peacock. Uh, so next week, Ahsoka, uh, we'll be doing another mini-sode on Ahsoka and then covering The Continental. Uh, just a quick programming note, uh, Ahsoka episodes come out on Tuesday, so our recap of Ahsoka will be out on Wednesday. And Continental episodes come out on Friday, so that's when you'll be hearing our discussion of that show. So today, we're going to be discussing One Piece, uh, and I want to just introduce the topic a little bit. One Piece is based off of the Japanese manga series written and illustrated by Iichiro Oda that spans over 106 volumes and has sold over 500 million copies in 61 countries. Uh, It's also been developed into an animated feature film and over a dozen television specials. Uh, It's now been developed into a live-action American series for Netflix. All eight episodes of the first season are streaming right now. Patrick Klepek and I have seen the first three, so we'll share our overall thoughts and then dive into detailed conversations about what happens in these first three episodes. But first, Patrick Klepek, let's talk about our overall thoughts and, and what we thought of this series, and most importantly... Whether or not we're going to continue covering the show, but let, let's start with overall thoughts. What did you think of One Piece? You and I have had basically no exposure really to the manga, right? Like we haven't read the manga, uh, we haven't watched the TV series on which it's based, or, or any of the films. So we're coming to this just cold as uh, as TV watchers, uh, discerning TV viewers. What do you think, of One Piece on Netflix? I was so curious because sort of some of the pitch on this one was that the creator uh, was so deeply involved in the adaptation. Um, 
And I feel like that's not always the case when you have uh, these sort of live ad- uh, action adaptations, which Netflix has definitely been on a tear with the last couple of years as they've really pushed into anime to be one of the like big expansive demographics that they're interested in, in hitting. And this one seemed like if any of these are going to hit, maybe this is the one. But I feel like we also said that potentially about Cowboy Bebop and is potentially said about Death Note and is potentially said about like, just go back to each previous one. Maybe this maybe this is the time where the like very specific stylings and tone of anime will make sense in live action, um, even though we have lots of evidence that that is an extremely difficult tone to adapt uh into into live action and here because it's so long running it's so beloved i for me thought like hey the idea of looking at uh a thousand uh like anime episodes of like thousands of uh of manga uh uh, uh books to to work through that's just too much like that's a stack i'm looking at it it's too high i'm never going to get there Maybe what the show you, you can can't do... even get Patrick out of bed to watch some Rebels for our Ahsoka coverage. <laughs> no, this is a hundred episodes. Into... Th- like like a <laughs> hundred episodes is too much. Thousands, like you've lost me. Um, getting into One Piece is a is impossible task for Patrick. it is. Yeah, but yeah. what I something I really enjoy in my video game work, something I enjoy in like all my work is I love it when I can tr- hopefully get a sense. Like, why are people so obsessed with this? What is it about like even if it ends up not for me my thought was can the live action show give me enough of a taste that i can see oh i now understand why you could go off the deep end for this show i can understand like why this character this world has inspired such a following it's not just in you know uh in in literature and in animation like there are so many video games as well you walk into any like target or hot topic and like there is one like anime is extremely popular it was impossible to find when i was growing up it was not expensive like vhs's or dvds like there was not a lot for you to watch so to get into these shows was difficult so it's all to say i think my my thoughts on one piece are i think it's a bit of a mixed bag as an adaptation in ways that we'll probably unpack that are related to I think increasingly what is seen as like a, ha- a house style for Netflix and how they how they do their productions. I think the inherent challenges of doing the uh, extreme tonal bouncing that happens both in anime uh, writ large and also in One Piece specifically as a piece of art. Uh, but I do think it does enough broadly on the back of the of the actor playing Luffy to get me to understand what is unique what is interesting, what is fascinating about this world. Even if the show didn't do enough that I don't think I'll get more than one or two episodes in to see the conclusion of the arc that's in in front of us. But I do think it is successful in translating what is interesting about this. I just don't know that it's necessarily wholly successful at being on its own an excellent TV show, um, at least in the episodes that, that you and I watched. Yeah, I I agree a lot with what you're saying, Patrick. I think, uh, you know, Patrick has been very graciously working with me on Decoding TV over the course of the last few weeks and will continue to work with me, hopefully, over the course of the next few months. Um, And so we talk a lot about what we're going to cover and how we're going to cover it. And uh, we both watched the first three episodes of One Piece and and we're going to recap them momentarily. But I think we both came to the conclusion like, hey, yeah, yeah. 
I don't know if we need to continue watching this. You know, like I don't know that we regretted our time spent with the series. You know, I don't Mm-mm. think we I don't think we had a bad time or anything, but it just feels like, you know, for me, I would say it feels a lot like Ahsoka to me, which is kind of like, oh, this I don't have any objection to this. You know, it's kind of like, oh, it's it's it, you know, it has its nice points or some cool moments that I think are cool. Uh, but it just feels like it's for a, an audience that's not me. You know, it's for for people who are like um, fans of the source material. And the purpose of talking about it on a, on a show like Decoding TV is to ask the question, does it have crossover potential for people who aren't into the source material? And I think for us, the answer is limited, right? It's not terrible, but it's not like, oh, wow, we need to keep finding out about what's going on. Patrick Klepek, I have this theory of adapting animated or comic book or graphic novel things into TV or film that I want to share with you. I kind of put this in the notes, but uh, I'm bringing it up to the top, which is I feel like um, if you are going to adapt something from a comic book or uh, something that's animated into live action, I think for me, the most successful versions of those things are either ultra realistic or extremely stylized and like Mm -hmm. fantastical and not even based on the real world. Right. So I'll give you some examples of each one of those. Right. Uh, I'm not saying I love the film, but I actually appreciated the world building. Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Great example where that to me feels like an ultra realistic world. Yes, there's like flying owl ships and stuff like that, but like in, ter- in terms of tone and feel, it's like this feels like a very gritty, realistic world. It feels like the, this world follows the same physics as our world. It feels holistic, right? Yeah, like, we, like yeah. it feels like it plays by its own rules, and thus, exactly. even when it steps outside those a little bit, it still feels in tone, in peace with the world that you're watching on screen. Yeah, uh, Kick Ass would be another one. You know that, that that's a movie where it's like uh, that still feels like it takes place in our world, uh, or could take place in our world. Uh, so those are a couple of examples. Uh, Hyper stylized. I'm thinking of uh, Speed Racer. You know mm-hmm. the Wachowski Speed Racer or Sin City. Right. Those are movies, and all of those movies I just named, I think, are success like pretty successful in what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I feel like. My big issue with One Piece is it falls into this uncanny valley of it's not quite super gritty and realistic and it's not quite extremely stylized with no relation to our world. And as a result, it it falls into this awkward middle uh, area where it just feels like I'm watching people play dress up and trying to imitate the source material. That's kind of what it ends up feeling like to me. Uh, another big issue is I'm not really finding myself attached to these characters emotionally. Like I'm not invested in these characters yet. And that's a real problem for me. If I want to dedicate eight hours of my life to this show, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and that is no disrespect at all to a, the source material or B even the performances necessarily. Like it's just, the way that the show has told the story has not made me really care about these characters. And we can talk about why that's the case uh, momentarily, but before we get, so, so I think our conclusion is, unfortunately, this is probably as far as we're going to go for one piece when it comes to decoding TV. 
But that being said, Patrick Klepek, any other thoughts on uh, One Piece overall before we get to the detailed conversation about what happened in the first three episodes? I do think your point about Ahsoka and how it sits in conversation with One Piece is interesting because it's about, in some ways, it's about who is the audience for this and the kind right. of confusion over who is this pitched at? Is, is, is the One Piece adaptation from Netflix, hey, One Piece fans, like wouldn't you love to see what it was like want to see this like brought into the real world which is a huge amount of the appeal of comic book movies like this thing on a page or in a cartoon like right see like seen with built with like fizz and there's a lot of there are big sets in this show right like they're like it is not just a like digital effects fest like you really do feel often frequently like you are on sets in places I think, I think the, the production value overall is very strong on the show. You see the money. I, yeah, like, I think yeah. the, the lighting, the cinematography sometimes fails, like the, the, the budgets of the sets, but like, um, or like, is this meant to bring in other people? Is it meant to translate what's interesting about those other works for uh, an even larger audience? And I think that's where it's, it's, it's a difficult thing for these works to juggle. And they're, they're approaching them in, in pretty, different different ways um and i'd be i'd be very curious um, um when this episode goes out i'll be curious to hear from the decoding tv audience like how many people fell in the i know one piece and like that informed my reaction to like how they adapted or translated this versus where you and i are coming from which is like well we know one piece is popular i know that it's a guy in a, a straw hat but beyond that like i need the show to do the heavy lifting but the other thing that is that the two works have in common is you know we joke about well with ahsoka you need to have watched you know 100 plus episodes to really land the emotional beats and there are things happening in that show no spoilers that like really seem to illustrate the divide between having that investment and the payoffs that come with the story they're telling in that show and in one piece it is specifically and this is true of like manga and anime where it is slower paced and doles out those developments over longer periods of time because deliberately they are longer works that are not going to have eight episodes. It's going to have hundreds, thousands, go on for a decade. And that's just a right. different structure of storytelling. And I think when we get into breaking down our reactions to the individual episodes, I think it might illustrate where those modes of storytelling are then in tension when you are condensing that for you know, a single episode that's an hour and then eight episodes to tell at least one arc of a very long and still incomplete story. One piece is not uh, a finished work uh, as far as I understand. Yeah, that's a great point about how sometimes when you compress, you know, hundreds of chapters of book into one episode, uh, shortcuts can be taken and that can feel a little weird. Uh, So again, we'll talk about that momentarily. The one other thing I wanted to respond to, Patrick, about what you said is, uh, the business case for something like One Piece, I think, is something that will please existing fans, but also bring in a bunch of new people. I think about the conversation about The Last of Us when that show debuted earlier this year. Feels like it was five years ago, by the way, when that show was on the air. But <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but I think it, I think it was uh, early, right? 2023 when that yep. show happened. Yeah, January, and, yeah. Uh, that was probably the best case scenario of what could happen in terms of uh, a show that honored the source material, but also brought in a massive new audience. And the, and the business case for a show like The Last of Us and One Piece is uh, there are tons of people, millions of people out there that will never touch 
a manga comic edition of One Piece. Um, not judging that. I'm just saying that's a, that's a fact, right? And can we do something to bring those people into the One Piece fold? Uh, and the answer is yes. You can make a live action show and put it on a Netflix, and uh, and I think that uh, it probably has brought in a bunch of new people. Patrick and I not being yeah. really necessarily among them, but you know, I think I think <laughs> well, that you know, it's also on Netflix. When I was searching to watch finish up the third episode, I don't know how much was there, but like the anime is also there, mm, right? Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. it's very easy to like look if they can if they can have that it's like hey you finish up these eight episodes this writer strike is going on it's part of the benefit of netflix and their huge category their huge library the amount of money they can spend and the like the huge library they can offer you is like hey i know that we're not going to get to that next season for another year year and a half but look at how many episodes of this show are just sitting for you to convert to you because you can imagine the funnel going the other way which is like maybe you watch one or two episodes and you get into it because you've heard so much about it it's like well I, there's like so much more waiting for me in the animated category that you can just dive right into. And so all of a sudden you see, like you said, the clear business case from Netflix perspective of like why why they're just probably, no matter how this one pans out, I think the, the buzz on it has been decent at least. And, the, and it's consistently it's, in the top 10 and charts. It's, and it's in their charts. Like, yeah. it, like you understand why they're, they'll continue to burn money at like the altar of anime because the audience is just enormous. Mm-hmm. They're passionate. And you kind of just need to hit one or two bank shots on, on these and like the payoff can be enormous. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, those are our overall thoughts on the first three episodes of one piece. Let us know what you think of the show at decoding TV at gmail.com. And if there's a massive letter writing campaign, Patrick, maybe we can cover the rest of the season. Look, they convinced us once. Yeah, they convinced I, right? us once. <laughs> like, we got Ahsoka yeah. Sodes. I know yeah. you're not calling them that. You don't. You keep rejecting <laughs> the branding. But, um, like, it is it is possible to, to sway us. It can happen. Indeed. DecodingTV at gmail.com. And, of course, you can find us across all platforms. Uh, at DecodingTV, YouTube, Instagram, Threads, uh, TikTok, etc. Uh, and also... Get more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Become a paid member and support the show at decodingtv.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
All right, Patrick Klepek, let's talk about what actually happens in these episodes. One Piece is an eight-episode live-action adaptation of the long-running anime and manga series One Piece about the misadventures of Monkey D. Luffy and his pirate crew as they search for the mythical lost treasure One Piece, which crowns the next king of the pirates. Episode one opens with Gold Roger, king of the pirates, being executed by a law enforcement group called the Marines. Before being killed, Gold Roger announces he's hidden a powerful treasure, the One Piece, and thousands set off in pursuit. Let me pause here for a moment. Uh, I just love how big of a troll this is. You know, like, <laughs> you're about to die, and he's like, hey, there's a treasure out there, and you all should suit up and, and get out there. Maybe he's like, Maybe he's full of crap. We don't know. We don't know at this point <laughs> yeah. in the show. Uh, but he's just like, I, I, I love, uh, you know, it, it would be the biggest troll of all if there's nothing out there, and he's just kind of wasting everyone's time and energy for no reason you know that, well, that I mean, would be funny, again like I, yeah. the, I don't know where the the yeah. different adapt like the works are but like i believe they're ongoing and so my assumption there is yeah. that the one piece has not been found and just yes. they're having lots of misadventures along the way um in in terms of like it, it's almost setting- like the re- it's almost like the real one piece patrick is the friends that luffy made along the way you know what Damn. i'm saying yeah, but it's a good. It's a good MacGuffin. Like I did not understand <laughs> until watching this intro. Like, what is the One Piece? Why is it called One Piece? And when I got through that opening, I was like, ah, that's good. That's all right. Like, that's that, a fun way to set up a bunch of stories yeah. that could go in any which direction. Like, that's that's all right. King that's of the Pirates. Scamp. What does that mean? What, do you have power associated with being this king? It doesn't appear that you get territory. Yeah. Um, then again, this <laughs> is this is a world where you're eating devil fruits and turning into you know, uh, right. characters from the Fantastic Four. So yeah. maybe there is maybe there is something hidden hidden in there. Years later, we're introduced to Monkey D. Luffy, a plucky kid wearing a straw hat who wants to become the new king of the pirates. His tiny ship sinks, but he hides in a barrel and stumbles into a firefight between a ship that once carried the pirate hunter Roranora Zoro and a wanted pirate captain Alvida. On board, Luffy prevents Kobe, a skittish crew member on Alvida's ship. Luffy gets in a skirmish with Alvida and reveals his body is basically made of rubber. Uh, should we talk about the Luffy, like the character of Luffy at this point, or should we mm. wait until later? What do you think? Like, uh, I, I, let, let's let's take a little tangent and talk about him. Sure. Okay? Uh, I don't want to get a bunch of angry letters and death threats. <laughs> I have I have no. I got to tell you, anime avatars though. They uh, play with fire. You play. Oh really? Like, do they take things touch, seriously? Do they take things seriously? Coals, Patrick? Touch coals. I I can't tell. I couldn't tell from my adventures online. I am not saying anything about the actual character as it was rendered in the book. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, which I'm sure is beloved and amazing. I, I, you know, my, my colleague, <laughs> Stephen Tobolowsky, my colleague, Stephen Tobolowsky had a saying. He says he, my, my colleague, Stephen Tobolowsky uh, is, uh, he played Ned Ryerson in the movie Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. the insurance salesman. And, uh, he said Ned Ryerson could be big. Like that performance could be big because he is the spice in the stew, you know? Uh, And you always got to know what, who's the stew and who's the spice in the stew. And like Mm -hmm. um, the spice in the stew, it's like, you know, he he can be big because he's only, he's a spice meaning he's only in like five minutes of that movie. Right. He's only like, and then he can be as big as you want. And then that's it. Right. Luffy feels like a spice character. <laughs> like he, he feels like that is a performance that starts at an eight or a nine <laughs> and therefore doesn't have much place to go. Um, 
And again, nothing wrong with the performance. It's how it's written, right? Uh, and he, but he is the main character of the show. He is the main, he is not the spice. He is the stew. Uh, and so I'm, I just have to say that, unfortunately, I found the character to be incredibly annoying. And, um, and I, I did not appreciate his buffoonery. Uh, so now, now I have, I have spoken with, I have spoken with some anime experts. Okay, got, um, you gathered the council together. To... I've gathered the council. <laughs> Patrick, don't mock my research. <laughs> I've spoken with some anime experts, and they say, "Hey, like he, uh, Luffy, the character becomes uh, more well-rounded as time goes on, encounters adversity, shows different elements of his character as time goes on." Uh, so, uh, and it's very possible that will happen in the show as well. But in these first three episodes, he is hitting one note and hitting it repeatedly. Uh, and I did not particularly enjoy it. Patrick Klepek, I think you feel differently than me. What do you think? I do. I, I actually quite liked how center of the universe the performance is. Like, it is just dropped in as a question mark. I think part of my, I think part of the issue that you're having, and I, I, I do understand it, is that freak not frequently enough does the rest of the world just sort of look at him quizzically like like bro what are you doing like what's going on here um because i think that like that's what the performance is like it's starting at 11 because it is meant it is i think it is clearly like you you know like you said it, it is it is clearly on purpose right like it is directed is like this is what we want the character to do in this world is to start in this place and i think part of the issue is it takes a little longer than I'd like for the backstory on the character to get going because by the end of episode three, you know, when we learn a bit more about like, what's the deal with the straw hat? Like what's where, where did this character come from? Even though they haven't been humbled necessarily, you do understand the, like the sheer kind of arrogance and confidence and like where this character operates between the two of them that allows them to get from point A to point B to, to frankly to point Z. And I I guess the reason it worked for me, the reason I was able to buy into it for as long as I did in those first three episodes is because I found the, the performance itself to be very charming and endearing. Um, my, I'm guessing based on what you're saying that like, this, like the sixth time they make the, the joke about like, we're, we are a crew, we're not a crew. Like you weren't finding it that funny in the sixth time. And I was saying like, make the crew joke again. Like, <laughs> I still think it's pretty funny. Like, say hey. the thing, say the thing, say it. <laughs> and and I, I think it does ride on a knife's edge. And it is one of those bits where I wonder um, on some level, this show probably, and maybe this performance benefits from, you know, the equivalent of the showrunner, the creator of One Piece being involved very deeply. On the other hand, if you have the long view on where that character goes, do you end up shortchanging like, or like uh, that, that development early on for people who don't have a sense of where it's, you know what I mean? Like if you go in with the baggage, like, well, I know where this character's going. I know some of the, the adversity right. you're going to go through. You almost can. So, project- so we can start, we can sur- surely we can start them off as you said, an 11. And then he, and then when he changes from that, that will be interesting. The, the, you know, the issue, as I think you're hinting at Patrick is we might never, like a lot of viewers might never even get to that point. Right. 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 Like you're projecting depth onto a character that you don't have yet. If you don't have that backstory. And I don't know, I wonder if that informs a little bit of, 
how the character is drawn and portrayed in this adaptation, which is like, yeah, but like we have so much road in front of us so we can play it this way, knowing where we're going. Whereas if you were just generally pitching at an audience that doesn't know anything about this character and where they go, you might play it a lot slightly differently or even, or even just rearrange when we're getting the backstory and how we're uh, doling out right. those, the kind of emotional beats of of that character and how they arrive uh, where they are, because it, it really does seem like they're they're setting up a character to get shattered, right? Like they're setting up a character who is like on top of the world and be king of the pirates, and they are hiding like real heartache, uh, like at the center of them. Like a lot of their their character is a performance, um, like uh, like is hiding and masking something beneath. But three episodes in, you know, we get hints at that, but like. I feel like there's a lot missing that you and I don't know that I think contributes to the knife's edge the performance is on, which is either it works for you, you think it's funny and charming, and you're willing to give it a huge amount of rope. And I think for you, it didn't work as well. And that doesn't that doesn't shock me. It doesn't surprise me. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if other people had a similar reaction mm-hmm. um, if they were to pause at this point in in the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, I texted my you know one of my friends who is into anime and uh he told me what i already expressed to you about uh luffy and he also said you're probably more of a zoro guy <laughs> mm, <laughs> which, mm-hmm. which is true is true uh you know in episode one we're introduced to roranoa zoro a loner who kills someone trying to recruit him and nami a woman who tricks two pirates into abandoning their ship and letting her steal a map we also bounce between past and present, learning that Luffy ate a devil fruit out of curiosity, thus granting him rubbery powers like Mr. Fantastic. And the emotional relationship he has with the leader of the pirate crew he envies to join, Shanks. Kobe reveals he wants to be a Marine, which is convenient for Luffy because Marines might have a map to where he wants to go next. At a bar near the Marine's base, Luffy, Kobe, Zoro, and Nami all find themselves in the same bar scheming. A fight between Zoro and the son of the captain of the Marine base breaks out. In seeking a reward for not killing the captain's son, Zoro ends up locked up at the base for the next seven days. By coincidence, Nami and uh, Luffy also converge on the base where they end up stealing a safe from the captain that contains a map to the Grand Line where the One Piece is located before they're found out and a fight breaks out. The three escape with a safe before saying goodbye to Kobe, who decides to stay behind and join the Marines. So that's what happens in episode one. And, uh, I, I gotta say the uh, action scene at the end, pretty cool stuff. Like I, I liked it. I, I dug it. You know, this is like, hey, this is pretty well done action set piece. Um, I think the way that Luffy's uh, superpowers are communicated is uh, pretty competent. You know, like pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. Any other thoughts on this first episode as we're introduced to all these characters? I think Zoro gets a really cool introduction. You know, and I'm kind of like, oh yeah, this is a. Uh, an ultimate badass and uh, i'm a fan of uh the character uh, who's played by mac and you and and the performance as well so yeah no it it worked for me as well i think nami sort of gets short uh shrift here in in this episode like in general they are playing pretty coy with her to the point where in the episodes you and i watch it's becomes clear there's a lot more going on with her i mean obviously like she's a thief like she can she can trick people and she knows she's pretty and can like use that to her advantage and has sort of a the power to listen real close to safes um, or whatever. Um, but I, like that was uh, one of my disappointments, like in the first three episodes was like, 
wish I knew a little bit more about like what her deal was. Although clearly it seems like that's something they're saving further, further into the, to the episode. But I'm, I'm with you that like these kind of this assassin, this pirate hunter character, like they do a decent job of portraying him as, as like a real badass. Um, and I don't think it's in the first episode. Isn't it later where then it's revealed to us what happens with the third sword, which is like one of my favorite moments, uh-huh. like in, in the three episodes, like, like he is like clearly an over the top, aesthetic but like one that's thought through and is not just aesthetic and i think the performance is the way he kind of shifts in the world in a very nonchalant sort of way like i think the performance works i agree i think the performance of the three main characters all work for me pretty well like you and i cannot speak to how that lines up with how they are portrayed you know in in the anime and in in the manga but um I buy them. They seem credible. They're interesting. Like I came out of that first episode going, huh? Like this is not a premise for a world that I'm all that interested in, but I am, I'm carried enough by these performances uh, to want to go forward. I mean, the, the fight itself also kind of a mixed bag. I think part of that is just, you've got these powers. I'd like to see more of them. And the show feels pretty restrained on when it wants to engage with that. And I don't know if that's, uh, you know, being, you know, uh, close to the work, if that is a budget, if that is like a tonal thing where like, hey, every time that we're, you know, showing a character that has rubbery arms, like, why aren't we doing more with those rubbery arms? Like, does he have a limit? So it's like all that stuff where I can't quite tell where the show is landing. But broadly, I, I liked like the pilot and like this is an interesting world with interesting characters. Um, I'm curious to see what they what they do next. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um I think you're right about the performances. It all it all kind of works. The only component in which it doesn't really work for me is I feel like uh, the character I identify most with is Zoro, who feels like he's over everything in this world. He's just yeah. like, I don't care about everything. Uh, and also, I'm mildly irritated by Luffy as a character, uh, but Zoro is not. He's really into Luffy as a character. He feels like Luffy unlocks within him a desire to be true to himself. And uh, I'm not sure I totally buy that though. That was that's, one of that's the, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. That's the only part yeah. where I'm like, is it, I don't, you know, may, I, I'm curious, like whether that work, you know, as we described earlier, whether that works better in a different medium where you have, where somehow these characters are forced into like, typically what you would do in a show like this with these characters is you'd force these characters to be together for an extended period of time. And then they start liking each other. But this show needs to kind of be off to the races real quick. Like it needs yeah. to, there needs to, we have all these people to meet and other people to join the crew left and all this other stuff they need to do. And so I think they kind of rush the, the main crew coming together and developing affection for each other in a way that I think was not entirely convincing. It sounds like you agree. Yeah. 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 Well, especially like Nami, I get because she, she has a different agenda, right? Like, so I right, can understand, right. like she seems like she is using like, she knows what she's doing. This is a plan. Yeah, yeah, Whereas exactly. like Rono Zero is sort of just yeah. <laughs> drifting through space. Yeah, Z- like- Zoro, Nami makes it, because Nami is like, yeah, she's everything, she's doing everything on, but Zoro, it's like, may- maybe he will be revealed to also have a plan, Patrick. But like, yeah, so but far, it-, it doesn't seem like it, right? No, yeah, so. it's just sort of like, well, that's an, that's a nifty little object. I guess I'll follow that one for a little while. And that seems to sort of betray a character that is otherwise deeply calculate like there's an ambivalence to him maybe right. that's because of a trauma or or like a world weariness but he does 
and it, there's a, a broad indifference, but like he makes choices for a reason and has like a moral code that we like see outlined even in that first episode with much respect to eating that food off the floor. I enjoy, I enjoyed that little bit. I thought that revealed a lot about <laughs> that character. It was like a nice touch for like a scene that's bouncing between like seven different characters and trying, trying to give them all something to do. And like that little bit, I thought really illustrated a lot about a character that is meant to be purposely standoffish. But yeah, I think we're on the same page where it's like, I think we've rushed like three episodes of an anime that like explain like, why would he get on that boat when he doesn't, right. when he doesn't have to, um, even if it's like, okay, fine. I get it. I know they're all going to become a crew together, but that character in particular, I didn't really buy why they, why they got on other than just sort of a, huh? Well, I guess I got nothing but uh, uh, <laughs> better else to do. I guess I'll get on this boat. All right. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts the Extra Hot Great podcast about television has a segment called I Am Not a Crackpot, uh, where they say, I am not a crackpot, but this thing bothered me, right? And there's certain aspects about the show that bother me, like, okay, the, the guy who's in charge of the Marine base, right? He has this gigantic metallic, like, jaw thing on his face, and it... It looks cool, you yeah. know, and I'm sure I'm sure that that's from the an- like that's from the anime, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 But the entire time I'm looking at this, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, why does he have this? Th- like, what what is the purpose and design of this object? And in in my opinion, in a better show, I wouldn't be wondering that because I would be like, oh, that that makes sense. Like, characters have this in this world because it protects them or there's some reason he has it. Like he, you know, maybe there'll be some backstory where they'll explain it. So like, I will hold judgment on that, on that regard, but it feels like there's a lot of times where stuff is just happen. Like we're just seeing stuff because it's in the anime as opposed to in the best of this kind of thing. I'm watching a thing and, and I'm watching something happen or interesting visual design flourish or something and i'm like oh that makes sense in the context of the world right i get why that person would be wearing a metal jaw thing i get why that person's (laughs) you know using a flying car in this steampunk world or whatever you know like i get why this is happening and i don't know maybe it didn't maybe i'm just the only person that something like that no i I think think this this is one of the issues i think with live action adaptations in general is the suspension of disbelief is different. Um, I think when you were watching real people play out these actions in which there right. was just something fundamentally different that happens when you were watching animation, whether it's like hand drawn or made on a computer um, in which there's already a suspension of disbelief that happens because what you, you know that you're watching something that is, Right. fundamentally artificial. And so yeah, I think yes, exactly. the moment yeah. where you like, so it's not like whether or not that is better explained or like shown in a power set in a fight that like suddenly makes like, well, who cares if it's explained? It looked cool as hell. Cause that doesn't happen in the fight, right? It's not as though like the jaw like is used to great effect in right, the ensuing right. fight. That's like, well, sometimes a cool thing can just be cool. But I do think this is the like one of the fundamental issues that these adaptations face when taking these more fantastical elements is that the moment you put it in live action, our brains like get on the fritz a little bit where we don't 
you need to explain it or not necessarily explain it, but I like, I'm, I'm grasping like how to explain, like there is, it just, we, there's a suspension of disbelief that is much, uh, much harder to grasp in live action than I think in other formats. And I think that I is think- an example of one of those in which you, you, you like want it to be either grounded or explained or done something cool with. Otherwise, like it just doesn't quite Otherwise, all add up it's to a you. Distra- it's a distraction, right? Right. Yeah. And, and you, you know, uh, my colleague Jeff Kanata on the, the filmcast put it really well. I think when we were talking about the Little Mermaid live action remake, sure. And he was saying how if you were going to adapt that, if you were going to make that story, there is no way you would make the decisions that they make in the live action Little Mermaid remake. Like, yeah, it makes no sense to make ultra realistic looking versions of these fish. Like, that just doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That doesn't make sense unless it is the artificial construct that you've imposed upon right. that piece of work. And that's how I feel about this. It's like, oh, guy with huge metal jaw. There's no way, in my opinion, you know, to a lesser extent, that you would depict him like that unless you were going to explain that in some way or unless you were just taking it from the anime. Um, so anyway, oh, my, my series uh, upset uh, what I said. So, <laughs> the anyway. co- the, is that your council? The council yeah. of Siri. The council uh, of Siri. Siri. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, in episode. Okay. So, thank you for listening to my mini rant about that. Maybe people vehemently disagree. If so, write into decodingtvgmail.com. In episode two, the man in the straw hat. Uh, we begin as Nami opens the safe, only for the trio to be interrupted by the arrival of another pirate, Buggy the Clown. The three are captured, but not before Luffy manages to swallow the Grand Line map. Inside a makeshift circus tent, Buggy reveals he wants the map. While attempting an escape, Nami discovers Buggy destroyed a nearby town, and all the people laughing and cheering inside his tent are actually prisoners. Back at the Marine base, a plan is hatched to return the map, with Kobe signing up for the Marines, only to be found out as having traveled with Luffy. To try and find out where the map is, Buggy straps Luffy to a series of devices meant to stretch him past his limits. When Buggy threatens to hurt a child, Luffy escapes from his restraints and attacks Buggy, only for Buggy to reveal he once ate a chop-chop fruit, which allows him to dismantle his body into parts that can fly all over the place. Uh, now, I want to pause here for a moment, Patrick, and just say, I thought the Buggy the Clown stuff was all super cool. Like, yeah. This idea, the way he reveals that he can disassemble his body, the way, you know, he he can reassemble his body, it all comes... Like, it's a really interesting concept, and I think the CG sells it in a good way, in my opinion. What do you think of Buggy as a a superhero who can disassemble his body? Uh, Yeah, I'm with you. It was a really neat reveal. It was one of those moments where I wish I had not... I'd seen that in a trailer, Mm. and I was like, ah! Like, I'm sure it's in the trailer because... This trailer is probably pitching to people that know what's coming and they know what this character does, but it was such a great because Luffy having stretchy arms, which is a kind of an odd superpower to have opens the door to, well, I guess you don't quite know. Is this something everybody has? Is this common? Um, Like it doesn't, one of the things the show does, I think pretty well is like, it doesn't necessarily establish what does this mean for the rest of the world? It's just that our character is pretty quirky and different and has this unique attribute. And I think one of the things that I grew to like in like the second episode and the subsequent episode is like, oh, okay, there's going to be kind of a unique villain of the week bit, like a kind of a mo- like a monster of the week uh, structure to this show while like a broader narrative is playing out in which you're going to meet some pirate that ate some weird fruit. And then like, we got a devil fruit. We got a chop, chop fruit. Yeah. Um, everyone takes these terms for granted. I'm just going, I'm just rolling with you show. I understand. 
Um, and uh, I thought that reveal was great. I thought the way, like the solution they have to dealing with like that unique attribute of buggy is great. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. frequently those moments where the show leans in to its most fantastic elements. Again, I don't know how it balances this in the other works, but I wanted more of that. I was like, I feel like this show is at its best when it's being odd and strange because it clearly has a lot of cool ideas in which it's mishmash of aesthetic and like power sets of like the people that exist here are just really unique and interesting. And the show has interesting ideas and the original work must also have interesting ideas about how those would play out and how the characters would react to it. And so I, I think those sequences are some of the like real high points of this show in general, uh, where I was like, I just wanted more of that in almost every turn. Um, and I understand why we, you know, you can't have that in every scene, but I'm, I'm with you that Buggy was a real highlight and, and how that character plays out is, was really interesting. I do. I, I want to comment on a couple of things you said. First of all, mishmash of tones, I think is right. I mean, that is some dark shit um, yeah. with, with all the prisoners being chained up and their town being destroyed. That's like really a, like upsetting imagery. Um, but yeah, I think the way that Buggy is depicted is great. The other thing I wanted to mention that you made me think about is I'm going to say that at this moment, I am impressed with how the show does its world building in the following sense, uh, which is that it it tries to uh, it doesn't explain it all to you up front. So you could have easily imagined there being like a massive opening text crawl where it's like in the world in you know in the universe of One Piece, you know, um, there is a land. The, the The world looks like this, and Middle Earth looks like you know, like and scrolling and, through a map showing us right, showing different fruits, a map, people and, getting different powers. Exactly, people have different powers from the fruits and stuff. And they decided to not do that, right? They decided to. Uh, do it organically through the course of the episodes and, you know, have actually an excuse for someone to draw a map on a thing and, and explain that. And I do appreciate that. Even though I'm not a fan of the world building overall, uh, for reasons I've already discussed, namely the uncanny Valley effect, I think that the way in which uh, it slowly doles out the details of the world is pretty skillful and shows a lot of confidence in what they're doing. So, so I do want to give them props for that. When it's just, and it's also um, surprising. Like I feel like the show, when it's at its best, is surprising you with the thing that's around the corner. Right. right, um, right. And and I don't think it's in a gotcha sense. It's it's just really like as I think you're pointing out, um, smartly in like, hey, this world has more going on than you think, and. It's it always seems like it fits right. Like they do, they, there are enough pieces early on that it opens the door for it to keep like stacking these bricks right. in interesting ways. Right. Um, even if, as I, I also agree with you that the the uncanny valley effect, I think, ends up undercutting undercutting yes. some of those moments. I think the I think buggy is probably the best execution of like all of that stuff existing in the same space. Like, yeah, it's sad and it's weird and it's fantastical and it's oddball and it's slapstick and i think like the buggy episode does the best job of trying to like juggle all of those things at once in a way that i think the show struggles to do elsewhere yeah yeah one of my favorite things about the show by the way is when they introduce a pirate 
Uh, yeah. The wanted sign comes up, and then, <laughs> then the pirate literally physically reaches out and tears the sign away in a in a different way each time. And I was just like, oh, what a fun little touch. That's probably from the original, but yeah. uh, from the source material, but it's still awesome. Like, the way they do it is really awesome. So, anyway. All right, so... Buggy's last attempt to extract the, uh, extract the map's location from Luffy involves drowning him, which triggers a traumatic memory for Luffy where he was captured and almost drowned at sea. He was rescued uh, by Shanks, who gives him a peck talk and hands over his straw hat. Nami and Zoro eventually escape to fight Buggy with Luffy, and the three succeed by trapping his individual body parts in different boxes. The three escape only for Nami to hide somewhere in the boat and phone back to a mysterious individual using, I think, a portable... Slug Sna- phone? snail, snail slug? phone, yeah, yeah it was, revealing it was cool. that she she has the map. So she's Nami is working with someone else. Let's move straight on to episode three. In episode three, our cruise ship is taken on water, so they need a new one. The nearest location, the Gecko Islands, holds promise. In pursuit of Luffy, Nami, and Zoro are the Marines, where Kobe, fresh off his stint with the pirate Alvida, impresses the ship's captain and head of the Marines. Meanwhile, Luffy falls in love with the ship at the shipyard and runs into a worker. Usopp, who claims to know who owns it. Usopp says the owner, Miss Kaya, is their good friend, brings the crew back to her place. Things are off at Miss Kaya's. She's sick, and her, but- uh, her butler, Clador, has terrible vibes. Let's pause here for a moment. This is, uh, you know, I'm reading Patrick's summary, and I just love how you put it. He has terrible vibes. <laughs> what, <laughs> what conveys terrible vibes in your opinion, Patrick Klepek? Oh, he just seems like he's sweaty. Like, he's just, like, he's... He's, I mean, everything, like, I feel like the, the show is communicating immediately, like, oh, she's not sick. Like, and like, <laughs> what is, and also like, what is this guy doing with her? And it's, right. I think it's a really fun setup for these characters to run into. I, I do like uh, part of what the show is doing there and like why I enjoyed like, hey, the vibes are off here. Like there is an episodic structure, like that I, I wonder is, is this pulling from like, the same way that like an anime has to be really structured, has sort of a, a beginning and an end. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, like an individual, like a comic or manga has yeah. to have a beginning and an end, which I think is a real problem with a lot of specifically Netflix works in particular, although it's like a streaming problem in general, the whole, is this a TV show or is it a movie chopped up into X amount of episodes? And what I, I do like about what's happening in each of these episodes is that you're getting an individual arc in the episode that feels like it's going to resolve. Now, granted, this one doesn't resolve by the end of of, of episode three, but um, I like. Right, but it's it like int- we're going off on an adventure in each yes. episode, basically. Yes. And like, yes. By the end, we'll have had an adventure of some kind. And this is so the terrible vibes one, where like I know that this butler is up to some shit. What's it, what shit is he up to? Like, let me see. And I, I kind of liked how obvious and upfront it was. It was just like, okay, come on. Like, I, I know that I know this is terrible. Now tell me what's terrible about it. Uh, so the, the Butler Clahador is played by Alexander Maniatis. I think it's a great performance. Patrick Klepek. Do you know how to know if someone has terrible vibes? Uh, so it's a very finely calibrated performance. Like, mm-hmm every mannerism feels like really deliberate. And uh, one of my favorite touches is at some point he's berating his staff and he goes to straighten out his glasses and 99.99% of the people in the world, when they go to straighten out, you know, I have glasses when they go Mm -hmm. to straighten out their glasses, they use their fingers. That's just a normal human being thing to do. They take their fingers, they, 
move the glasses or they push it up on their nose. And this guy, he used his palm to straighten his glasses. He's like, he's like, use his palm to straighten his glasses. And I was like, damn, that is some evil shit right there. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you. Only, on only an evil person would straighten their glasses <laughs> using a palm. Wow. See you know? now. See you know. I, you know. Every episode, uh, David tries to find something to set the audience off with to write in a bunch of letters, and I think it's not going to be your thoughts on the main character of the show, Dave. But it's going to be all <laughs> the palm. Well, using I'm going to put this out there too. I'm going to put this wearers. out there too. It, it, he, um, your sketch, your sus. That's right. Well, he also uh, was wearing gloves at the time. Yeah. So it's the That's gloves upsetting. and the pol- like. If you have, I understand if you don't get fingerprints everywhere, but he's already wearing <laughs> gloves. Okay, anyway. Well, I, part of what I like about the performance is that you can tell, like, you you can tell that it's a performance, but in a way that, like, someone is just hanging right off of the edge. It's like, I, like, they are tired of being this character, and that I feel like that comes across in this character's performance really well early on, and is part, part of what contributes to the, to the terrible vibes. It's just like, you, like, someone has been doing this for a very long time. And they're mm-hmm. tired of doing it. And like, so then the, the, the fun of the episode just becomes, when are they going to break? Yeah. Well, the crew stays for dinner. It's revealed that Clahador and the House of Staff are conspiring to poison Miss Kaya in the hopes of stealing her riches. Uh, Nami ends up befriending Miss Kaya, slowly understanding that she's being taken advantage of, while Usopp reveals to Luffy that he's in love with her. Zoro, bored by the emotional talk, stumbles upon a dead body in the wine cellar, upon which Clahador reveals himself as Kuro of the Black Cat Pirates. Zoro is seemingly killed. <gasps> and his body's dumped into a well. I don't know. It feels like it's not the last we've seen of Zoro. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, I mean, look, I watched in, Secret Invasion. I'm on to you. Death in the scenes clo- and shows. In the closing scene, Usopp is seen in a flashback with his dying mother. And we learn his father left for the pirating life and never returned. But as the Marines close in, alongside a reveal that Buggy has himself been captured and revealed what he knows about Luffy, we know that pirates are coming. So that's what happens in the first three episodes. Patrick Klepek, any specific topics you want to bring up? I know that it feels like the look of this show is something that is of contention to you, right? Like this is not something that you're... There are are moments when the look of the show is not up to Patrick Klepek's demanding standards. (laughs) Tell me about about this. Like what, what moments do you feel like, hey, this doesn't quite look like it should? Well, it's not only that, but uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to grab the piece so I can. Um, it was the review of the season over at Polygon, um, and I, I want. I want to be able to credit the the writer. I'll try and I'll pull it up. Um, uh, in, but like, it's the the, the review of Polygon uh, was essentially like a structural critique of Netflix adaptations of like a house style they seem to have with the kinds of productions they do in-house. Um, and once I read that and started looking at the show that way, I felt like it had started to, like, it was sort of like curse knowledge. I wish someone hadn't explained this to me because now I feel like I'm seeing, it's similar to, like, whenever I watch uh, uh, shows with my wife, somehow this far in, she just can't really see like the bad, like the kind of bad green screen you and I talked about in like Twisted Metal, where it's like, gosh, like now nah, I bet she could see that, but like a, a couple steps beyond that, like it just all like she just doesn't tell. It doesn't bother her. Whereas you and I have watched so much that you can just see when it's done poorly, and then uh-huh. it takes you out of the work. And 
here when I read this piece sort of breaking down how Netflix does things from a production, from a like a, a lighting standpoint, I was sort of like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, I do kind of see how they do this stuff, and it is probably a problem, but also contributes to their incredible efficiency um, as a as a company. And I would, as someone that is strikes me having done this podcast, you know, with you for for a little bit now, and especially like Ahsoka and like your response to like sort of the deliberate pay, like it just seemed like the kind of thing that could really nag you as someone that um, seems to observe and that stuff can really take you out of the experience. And so it didn't take me out of the experience here as much as I just found myself maybe seeing the seams a little bit in a way that I hadn't really sure, seen but what, before. Sure, like but what's like an example of that? I'm just, I just want to understand, you know, or, or give like it, make it more I less of the language uh, for this than, than you. Like, like, like for example, um, that opening fight scene in the, the first episode, like, it seemed fine, but there was just something about it that I can't quite put my finger on that I don't necessarily want to associate as like Netflix, but it was just something like, I don't know, like it just seems kind of cheap in a way. Mm-hmm. Like cheap is such a mm-hmm. bad word because like that seems to undercut all the hard work that the performers and the set trusts and everyone does. But there's just something about it that, and I think maybe this is indicative of of just shows in general where you're spreading out a budget across a number of episodes, but have to adapt fantastical things. And I think maybe that just comes to a head in, in a show like this. Uh, I feel like I'm fumbling the, po- the point I'm trying to make here, but it is. Yeah, like- let, me, let me, let me try to pick it up. Let me try to pick yeah. it up. And, and I, I mean, I think that people have observed that a lot of Netflix shows look the same, right? Like people have observed that a lot of Netflix shows look and compared to say, if I'm taking five random movies that were big at the box office from the 1980s and I, I put them next to five Netflix movies, you'd probably be able to identify which five were the Netflix movies, right? Just based on, just based off of the look alone, um, which is the result of a bunch of different decisions uh, that have been written about. If you Google, why do Netflix shows look the same? There's YouTube videos about it. There's vice articles about it. Um, and, it's a result of the fact that Netflix requires a certain type of camera when you're shooting for Netflix or a certain oh, set of cameras, hmm. uh, a certain set of cameras are eligible for Netflix. So all Netflix productions use the same kind of cameras. Um, now it's like, you can do a lot with that range. It's not like, I don't think it's like inhibiting people necessarily. Uh, but also like color grading is another decision that is made. And a lot of Netflix shows are made to color. Like if you compare this to uh, what is it? Um, Haunting of Hill House, that Mike Flanagan, mm-hmm. you know, like some of those, some of the episodes here look like they could have come. Some of the scenes from Haunting of Hill House look like they could have been in One Piece and vice versa, you know, just because c- of the way that they look. So I think it's kind of this feeling like you're watching a Netflix show and it's obvious to you that yeah. that's the case that kind of detracts from uh, being immersed in this world. And I understand, I will say, that the, the the look of the show bothered me way less than the world building elements that we've already discussed mm. of like why is this like this um you know is this like this because there's an organic reason for it to be this way in the world or is it because it's based off of something else you know uh a random example just came to mind westworld that's a uh that's a show which had a lot of problems. It's the show that this podcast was based off of. But 
where I felt like a lot of work went into building that world, you know, where a lot of work went into feeling like, hey, we took inspiration from the original film on which this is based. And then we're like, hey, let's expand this out. Let's think of what the implications would be of this world. How do people travel? How do people pay for things? Like, how is society organized? These are things that it feels like they've thought about in a show like Westworld, where as here, it feels like a lot of times we're doing it because it looked cool in the in the manga, you know? And um, and that that bothered me more than like the actual visual style of the show. Gotcha. Um, so... I just yeah, want to point I, out, uh, Joshua Rivera was the the writer over at Polygon that wrote that piece. It was that Netflix One Piece grinds down the greatest manga ever ever until it's just content. Um, wow, it's a yeah. brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, brutal. For, yeah. Well, on, yeah. on that note, I want to actually defend the visual style of the show to some degree, uh, which is that I do think they they purposefully made a lot of decisions to try to make it seem more like a comic book as opposed to a TV show. So uh, an example of that is there's a ton of shots where it's a close up on a person's face and they're framed right in the center. That is atypical. Most TV shows have a shot reverse shot over the shoulder camera, you know, in one piece, you're right up under, often the camera's like right under their face. It's like under their nose. You're right up on there and, or the camera moves around and it dances around them. Uh, but it's very little conventional shot reverse shot comparatively speaking to other shows. And I do think that makes it feel more alive and more like, Hey, there's something different about what we're watching. If it's not quite a normal show, we're not observing this world in the same way that we would a normal show. Patrick Klepek, is it, did you notice any of that? Did that, that come across to you at all? Even on a subconscious level, what do you think? Yeah, no. And I think that allows, you to buy into the fantastic elements to the, to the, to the degree that it, when it does work, it does work is I think because it centers those characters and helps you ground. Like, I mean, my favorite, some of my favorite shots in, in, in the show are uh, it's mostly Luffy doing it, but when he announces, you know, his attack, like, because he thinks it's cool to say what the attack is, which he's given a name before he does, the attack and almost oh every time that happens it is the exact shot that you're talking about of like face in frame yeah and rather than tracking the arm go all the way back you it keeps on your fit on on his face yeah. and yeah. then the arm just goes back not that there aren't other cool shots to show but like the thing that's important is that like luffy thinks this is cool and he's doing yeah. something that's cool and right. like it's actually cooler to watch his arm stretch behind him while our eyes are directed towards his face. And I think it helps sell something that is much more difficult to depict and buy in live action than it is in when it's like drawn with, you know, pencils or, 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 or animated in, into some degree. And so I think all of that helps to establish that world in a way that I think would be much more difficult if it was being much more I don't know, flowery with the cinematography and the angles. It's like, just keep us with the people. Cause that's what ultimately, like, I think your tensions with the show are like, the show wants to be centered on these characters and is less concerned about like whether all of these things make sense as much as like, they'll make sense along the way. And so I understand like your, your tension with that. And I think that, that goes in concert with the, the camera fixated on their faces because that's what the, the show itself is, is fixated on as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Patrick Klepek, any other topics you want to mention, or do you feel like we have addressed all these in the course of our conversation today? I think we have. You uh you didn't you didn't like Luffy, and so that was like, oh, I think Luffy really like kind of hangs the like kind of the show hangs on. <laughs> and and <laughs> David I, David I, disagreed. I don't have any issues with the perform I think the actor, Inyaki uh Godoy, I believe is his name, right? That sounds right, yeah. Um he is doing a great job of what he's being instructed to do. Uh, but it's, it's just really the writing and the character so far that is not really, you know, is not really resonating with me. He should be the spice and not the stew itself, in my opinion. Um, but you know, it'll probably work a lot for some people. And I, I know this is like one of the most beloved characters of all time. So, uh, I don't want to say too much negative. About it, but, yeah. <laughs> the the other, th- I guess the, the last thing that I think about is I thought about this show in conversation with the fact that uh, over the summer, one of the big things that blew up on Netflix was the USA show Suits, um, specifically because Suits was a show that had a bunch of episodes that people could go through. And one of the criticisms of Netflix in particular is that they have a habit of treating a season of a show as a pilot. Um, And then if the season doesn't work out, they don't move forward with it. Whereas in like traditional sort of like broadcast structure, you film a pilot or an episode or two. If those don't work, you don't film the rest. And so it's very easy to get invested in a Netflix show over the course of a season and then be crushed when Netflix decides the numbers don't add up for whatever reason for them to, to continue. And so the, the appeal of these types of shows that Hollywood just doesn't really make anymore, which is like kind of like low stakes, long running shows that you can kind of just like hum in your life and that you have just a ton of them to work through over the course of however long you work through them. One Piece has that promise, which is that the manga is not over. The anime, like the story is not done. And so the promise of the live action show is like, hey, this could go on forever, a decade. Like there is so much runway. And so then knowing that there's not even an end point for this adaptation to be looking at, like because that, that end point doesn't exist, to be then slotted in to a platform in which it has now become like a meme that don't get invested in a Netflix show because like they'll just cut you off at the knees is an interesting tension because they're trying to establish what is obviously really profitable and appealing to their audience, which is the never ending show that you can just watch for a long time in tension with the fact that they are actually like very quick to pull a knife to a show and say, actually, I know we could do this for seven seasons, but we're not even going to do the second. And so I think that's, is it interesting that this show drops into that tension at Netflix and an ongoing, you know, maybe that criticism is more, folks that you and I pay attention to are like highly aware of how Netflix operates as a business. And maybe that is not felt on the ground as much to its hundreds no, of I millions think it's of subscribers. I think it's felt yeah. on the ground. I think there are a lot of bitter people who are unhappy with all the shows that Netflix has canceled. There are many reasons why Netflix doesn't run shows for longer than a few seasons. Uh, I would say the two of the bigger ones are number one, uh, economically, what I understand is they've structured these contracts so that they have to pay people significantly more as the show goes on. And 
they're like, hey, it doesn't make sense to keep paying these people um, because related to point number two, it is much easier to bring in people into a service with a new show than by renewing an existing one. Sure. Um, That is much more enticing to people. Uh, It has marketing implications. Like uh, if it's a new show, there's a bunch of marketing levers you can pull that you can't really pull with uh, the third season or a fifth season of the show. Yeah. But that's what's led us to this point where we have probably something on the order of less than 20 series on Netflix ever that have made it more than five seasons uh, or five seasons or more. And several of those, by the way, were greenlit in a different era. So House of Cards, Origins of New Black, Grace and Frankie, and Fuller House and BoJack Horseman. Those are all shows that, you know, premiered ages ago in the streaming world and would probably not make it that long if they premiered today. So I think you're right. It is going to be really weird to see how it all plays out. My guess is um, that it will get a season two because it's doing really well right now. Uh, It's pretty successful so but will it get a season three that is a much more dicey question for me yeah uh will it get a season four who knows so yeah but but um i do think that netflix made some really some decisions that it thought would be good for its short-term benefit and it's now had a corrosive impact on the brand where People like you and me are like, let's see if it gets to season five before we decide to invest in this. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, except that, that goes against how they make their decisions. So right. It's like, right. like I think it really puts the fandom like in a bind where you know, or even just like as a a, a watcher, like what am I going to watch? Where it's like, well, like I felt bad that I didn't watch the new show from the folks who did Dark because it's like I just don't have time for that right now. And then that show gets canceled from sure. A, bunch of reasons but like one of them being people like me said well i'll get around to that later exactly but it's, now it's, a, it's never, a vicious circle it's a vicious now circle. i'm never gonna watch that first season because i know that the story isn't concluded because it was conceived as like a multi-season arc and like so that's the bind you find yourself in is like well why would i reward them with my time and energy exactly. when they might just take it away and and like that is just a strange place to be and i think pretty unfair to like the average like watchers, like to put that burden on them in terms of like, I need to invest my time and resources into something that I don't know if is worth my time and resources. Uh, because if I do like it, I would want to, it's just a, it's an odd spot to be in. I completely agree. Uh, it's really weird and it's unfortunate that it's in this situation and and hopefully the fans uh, get what they want, you know, when, when it comes to this show. But you're right, yeah. That 1899 that really burned a lot of people, Patrick, because it I, ended, it ended really mid story. Um, yeah, so yeah. That is not, the one that is cited from a lot of people, especially yeah, not, given not how. Worth, yeah, that's, well, I heard. I heard the show wasn't that great. Otherwise, it not did not reach the highs of dark. But um, uh, yeah. nonetheless, uh, it's but I feel it, like at least yeah, give them you know a movie to finish it up or something. something. Right, it was, right. It was very unceremonious how that show was canceled. So. Um, all right. Well, uh, last thing I w- just, I just have these two nitpicks that I had nowhere else to put these nitpicks. Back okay. With. Nitpick corner. Uh, j- just two random nitpicks. I got, we got to get some nitpick corner theme music going, um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, hopefully you can tell that there are many th- elements of the show that I actually enjoyed and appreciate and admire. Um, but the show just kind of didn't really connect with me emotionally. And like, 
by the end of the three episodes, I was already kind of feeling myself reaching for my phone as like the episode was going on. Do you know what I'm saying? That, like, yeah, it, it's it's a victim yeah. of uh, it's less a bad show as much as it's there's just uh, like you know like yeah, well, I've, I've, there's 900 other things I could be watching, and if those things didn't exist, I could totally imagine myself continuing to watch exactly, One Piece, exactly. but it it does not rise above the bar of like well but there are so these other shows do exist and i'd rather watch them instead right i w- the show we're discussing next week the continental i've already seen the first episode i can't talk about what i thought about it but i will say i'm really excited about episode 2 you know so like <laughs> so you know that's the thing i was you know i got to get back to that continental show so anyway yep. uh two random nitpicks number one it really kind of bothered me that the younger version of Luffy had a different accent than the older version of Luffy, <laughs> <laughs> which like, in, it does, I, I'm not saying it never happens that a person changes accents from when they're a kid to when they're mm-hmm. an adult. Um, but it just, it felt like sometimes the show just had this lack of attention, this weird lack of attention to detail like that, where, where you'll have like, set, like for instance, they're, they're in Miss Kaya's house and, you know, Luffy's in this room that has a thousand shirts in it. And it looks like they actually bought a thousand shirts. You know what I'm talking about? And that looked amazing. Uh, but then other times it feel like, oh, well, there's there's a lack of attention to detail here. Um, I do wonder uh, on, on some of that. Like, I know that the original Japanese creator was deeply involved in this, but, you know, I don't know how well their English is. I don't know how well they interpret, you know, varying accents when then mm. spoken in english but you know i've i've done a, i've done a lot of work in video games i'm always fascinated by localization translation adaptation and like the thing you always realize is like how much you know a lot of video games come from japan and then are localized for you know different audiences like how much those original creators are relying on the localization translations adaptation teams to explain like these are why we're making these decisions to make this work make sense in this different language that is different. And so I just, I wonder sometimes like how much of that is the result of lack of attention to detail and also like a creator being involved, like, well, how much does their ability to even interpret the work that is being filmed and Mm -hmm. put put to film, how much can they, where are the limitations of where they can even step in to say like, Oh, this doesn't line up with how it would otherwise was go. Cause then you need those other people who are those localizers that are supposed to be the bridge between worlds um, to make sure that it is adherent. Cause it sounds like absent a, a coherent explanation in the narrative that like in theory could come later. That does feel like that's, that's a moment where a localizer that is supposed to step between those two worlds comes in mm-hmm. and says, Hey, in order to be lined up with the work, like this, this should be consistent between, between those characters. That's interesting that you said, that. you know, I think of when I think about this, topic i think about how uh wonder woman is introduced gal gadot plays wonder woman right mm-hmm. and in uh she was in a movie batman v superman she was in that movie before the wonder woman movie came out and because gal gadot has an accent in wonder woman you are introduced to the world of themiscira where she comes from and so they gave everyone an accent to explain why <laughs> Wonder Woman has an accent in in Justice League, right? Or in uh, Batman v Superman. So it's uh-huh. like that was their commitment to like making to selling that idea. It's like yeah. every everyone gets an accent now just to Yay. explain why Gal Gadot has an accent. <laughs> um meanwhile we have this show. Now now it's interesting your mind went there Patrick because where my mind went to was production reality. 
Yeah. They want to find a kid who is a, a good actor. Let's stop right there. That's already really difficult. Right. right? Let, let people so, fill in the blanks themselves. Like, I think, I think right. both those things can be right. They, absolutely they want to find true. a kid who's a really good actor. And then B, they ideally the kid has the same accent as Inyaki Godoy, but he, it's like, okay, well we could either have this really amazing kid. Who's like pretty good, but he doesn't have the accent or we could have this other kid who maybe isn't as strong or doesn't even look like Luffy, but who does have the accent. And, you know, sometimes you have to make yeah. trade-offs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then the other, the other nitpick is on multiple occasions, Nami refers to Luffy's hat as being really shitty. And that just, I, I couldn't, that just bothered me so much, Patrick, because Luffy's straw hat looks like it literally came right from the store. Like mm-hmm. it literally looks like he just bought it yesterday. It's completely fine. And she's like, you, you know, like what you're, why am I listening to this guy who's wearing a hat that he looks like he found in the garbage, you know, or he looks like you took it off a homeless person. I'm like, the hat looks fucking like I, the show is fucking gaslighting me. Like the hat looks fine. Like Nami, <sighs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Anyway. Well, uh, I, think, I, I, <laughs> I feel like that's probably like, I think what, what's getting conflated there is pro- like in theory, bro why do you have a straw hat like wh- like this is a world of fantastic things and like the straw hat like that's that's the one that you chose but uh because i guess that's all leading up to you know you get that moment in episode three where she like kind of right. weaves weaves the straw hat right. back together right. but i'm with you it otherwise looks like there's nothing about luffy's personality that strikes me as somebody who's taking care of their shit um right. I, like, it, for, it should look for, worn and like you know for, it should look like it's about to fall apart at any second uh, I'm assuming this is his ninth hat. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't actually fully buy. Like, he's held on to this hat since it was given to him by 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 Shanks, like er, like decades ago. <laughs> earlier, it's like seems like a kid who's going to leave that stuff behind after an adventure. Um, right, but, uh, right. I'm with you. It was a kind but of yeah. Like, it was. I was just thing. like, what are you? What are you? What are you talking about, Nami? <laughs> it looks completely fine. And and it's moments like that where I'm like, why did they, why did they do it this way? Why, you know, why did they choose to do it? Is it because people thought, Hey, it does look worn or is it because they're like, we need the hat to look good because we're filming eight hours of show with it. And uh, anyway, uh, thank you for listening to my incredibly incoherent ramblings, Patrick Klepek, and also you, the listener to decoding TV Uh, really appreciate it. And we hope you've enjoyed this conversation about, Oh, I'll just say one last thing. It wouldn't have bothered me as much if that wasn't uh-huh. a key part of the character. Do you know what I'm saying? If she was like making fun yeah, of his yeah, shirt, yeah. if she's yeah. making fun of his shirt or something, it'd be like, okay, whatever. Like, but it's like his name is Straw Hat. Go- like, you know, uh-huh. if you're if you, if you're gonna make statements about the titular character's description, like des- descriptor, you have to be able to back it up. Okay, thank you. I rest my case. Okay. Anyway, podcast.decodingtv.com where you can find more episodes of this podcast. Decodingtv at gmail.com. Let us know how wrong you think we slash I am about how annoying Luffy is in this show. Uh, next week, it's going to be another Ahsoka mini-sode as well as our conversation about the Continental, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. You can find more of Patrick's work at crossplay.news as well as his podcast about video games remap radio i'm a listener and a fan he is patrick klepek i am david chen thanks for listening we'll see you later 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 